Good to be together this afternoon again. We, uh, it's like an all-day meeting, isn't it? <laughs> when, we, when we visit brothers and sisters in India, they like all-day meetings. <laughs> they start at about 10 o'clock in the morning. They worship God, they break bread, they have two messages. They're usually done by four o'clock. And then they have a little rice and get ready for their gospel meeting at six. Well, I think we don't have the Indian stamina. The Lord will have to help us. But He's able to quicken by our mortal bodies. By the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we trust Him even this afternoon. But if you're overcome with deep repose, well, take a little nap. And the rest of us will press on. We want to return again to the book of Nehemiah. And just for context, we want to read the whole of the first chapter. I will read the chapter in English, then my brother will read it in Chinese. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev in the twentieth year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. 
O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Yishimi 他们被焚烧承认我们以色列人向你所犯的罪你们被赶散的人Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. How the Lord Jesus quickens and makes alive the word of God to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To enlighten us in the inner man. We know we must walk by the voice that is within. In order to find and walk in the footsteps of the flock. You have captured our hearts. And we do not just want to walk among some flocks. Wandering and looking and never satisfied. We want to be part of your flock, Lord Jesus. But we need so much strength from the Holy Spirit. We have heard the message of the cross, even again this morning. Oh, give us 
such a heavenly vision of our Lord Jesus running before us. That we are willing to strip aside all sins and lesser things and pursue after Him, our great Shepherd. Strengthen the hearts of those who have set their path and the highways to Zion. And draw others who have been kissed by you, that they as well may run after you. Even today we pray that you will reveal your heart to us again. We are dependent upon you. Only you can move the spirit of men. Do move us, Lord, we pray. We might be fully pleasing unto thee. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday we began in Ezra. And at the very beginning we saw that our God is a sovereign God. He does whatever He pleases. But we know that in His pleasure He has designed that all things should be headed up under Christ Jesus, His Son. All his purposes and plans down through the century have been toward that end. And here we are near the end of the last days. And our sovereign God is still drawing ones into the Lord Jesus. We have seen that the way of the church is not some outward form but an inward relationship to the Lord Jesus. The church is a shared life together. The head and the body. And we are His fullness. We're to live together, abiding in Christ. And in this abiding, also one with one another. Yesterday it seemed as though the Holy Spirit was stressing this matter of our knowing the heart of our God. He loves all of us much more deeply than we knew. And we are given this story of the Song of Songs. Where a Shunammite woman, a nobody, darkened by the sun, a laborer, is desired by Solomon the king. And he starts to pursue this woman. We're surprised to discover that our Lord Jesus 
pursues us. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us the Lord has pursued and saved not many noble, not many of high class. But he's pursuing our hearts. And he knows your heart. There are many Christians struggling on the outside, but he knows your heart. There are none of us who are worthy to be called his special possession. But indeed he gave everything in order to purchase you and I. This is the heart of the matter of what the Lord desires to recover. Often the church has an outward form. But the very ark of the Lord in the middle is missing. The church is found to have everything except his presence in the middle. And we realize even when he talks to us in Revelation chapter 2, that unless we are being ravished by his first love we're not the church at all do you love me? the Lord not only speaks that to Peter he always speaks that to us and so we see this tremendous heart matter now there was Jerusalem all in ruins somewhat a picture truly of the kingdom of God today but God in his sovereignty wants a place to dwell with his people now why is that? why is he interested in dwelling with us? but we see at the end of Revelation that the final majestic triumphal claim is that God dwells among men this is the essence of the new Jerusalem this is the finality of his plan Jesus the father and his children all dwelling in life and glory together and so we know from Ezra when the situation was the most dreary in Jerusalem God sovereignly touched the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. And we mentioned the backstory of Daniel and that. And he made a proclamation for all those uh, Jews uh, from Judah and Benjamin to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple. And God is sovereign. And he stirred the hearts of about 50,000 of the remnant of the children to go back to Jerusalem. 
Now when we say God is sovereign and he chose and it says he stirred the spirits of these people. Does that mean that he sovereignly looks around and says, Oh, I pick you, and oh, I pick you, and just kind of picks people randomly? Our God is sovereign, but he searches with his eyes to and fro to see whose hearts are complete for him. And at that time, he found about 50,000. They were in Babylon, existing in Babylon, but their heart's desire was to be with God and in his beautiful temple back in Jerusalem. And the whole story of how God, how the temple was rebuilt, is a story of God's sovereignty. The weakest of the weak went back to Jerusalem. They really had only one thing to give. Their heart, their all. Somehow they got back. Zerubbabel led them as the governor and Joshua was the high priest. They built an altar and started worshiping and worshiping. Then they built a foundation by the grace of God. Then the enemy came and stopped the work. But God raised up Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah and Zechariah's prophecy caused them to go back and build and complete the temple. Zechariah testified it was all the sovereign God's doing. What did he say? We all know the words. Zechariah said, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Even as Zerubbabel has laid the foundation, he will put the top stone at the top of the temple, and everybody will shout, Grace! Grace has done this. And indeed, that's what happened. It was amazing grace. And some children in captivity even wrote, uh, wrote the song as they got back to Jerusalem. When the Lord returned our captivity, we were like them that dream. The people around said, The Lord has done great things. And we agree, the Lord has done great things. Now the temple was built. Now they could offer. Now they could worship. Now they could gather around this temple. And they shared a spiritual life together. Nehemiah is the story that comes after a generation has passed. 
Actually, Nehemiah is the second part of what in Hebrews was originally one book. Ezra and Nehemiah was one book. 那在原, and Nehemiah gives us a testimony of how uh, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. The house had been built for more than 50 years. But the city was still in ruin. These dear saints in the remnants, they gave everything they had. And, and even after the temple was built, they had to scratch out a living in poverty. And they were persecuted on every side. Even the leaders in Samaria would come down and persecute them in Jerusalem. There was no wall, there was no protection. And after now more than a hundred years since the children were taken into captivity, these, these stones around that were all covered over with debris and dust. It was a terrible-looking place. Now we might think that God was satisfied when the temple was built. This is the heart of the matter. These people had given their all for God as a living sacrifice before Him. But our God was not satisfied. He wanted the city to be built. He wanted the people of God to have a place of life and blessing and fellowship together with Him. It's true they were all for God. But now God wanted to be with them in a city together. And so in Nehemiah, we see the story of how this happened. Now when we look at the book of Nehemiah, it's very interesting. I think two things will strike you right away. The first thing is, this book is spiritually practical. Just as Ezra was a heart matter in building the temple, now Nehemiah shows how we are built as the city of God together. What do I mean by spiritually practical? Well, when you see and you go through the book, you'll notice that they pray and work. They wait on the Lord and then they move with decisiveness. They work with a shovel in one hand and in warfare they hold a spear. They waited to receive an impression from God and then Nehemiah knew how to practically work it out. 
He brought encouragement. And he tugged the beard in correction. He taught them how both to weep and rejoice. He showed authority and also practical coordination. Spiritually practical uh, testimony. And the testimony is about a vessel who is useful to the master's service. For it's all regarding Nehemiah. It is written, I think you've noticed, as a personal diary. We are seeing the history through Nehemiah's eyes as he's writing a daily journal and praying about everything. Everything we know about Nehemiah just comes from this book. But you can see his heart. You can see his faithfulness. You can see his diligence. You can see his godliness. You can see his wisdom. You can see his consecration. As you read his diary. Isn't it wonderful to read the diary of a godly man? And here's a godly man who is also practical. There's a strange animal indeed. A man who is spiritual and practical. This was Nehemiah. The secret, of course, when you read the book, you realize immediately is his prayer life. And when you go through this book, it continually mentions his prayer life. The majority of the Nehemiah chapter 1 that we read was a prayer of his. If you look in chapter 2 verse 4, when he comes before the king, the king says, what do you want? But before he answered, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. The prayer was the backbone of this active man's life. Now this was more than just a morning devotional, a time of worship, a time of prayer. Nehemiah was abiding before his God. He would shoot up these little prayers all the time before he said something outwardly. It seems like he was in a dialogue with God. What should I do? What should I do here? What should I do there? Uh, there's an interesting uh, um, let's see here if I can find it. There's an interesting statement that he makes when he hears some problems coming up. Oh, in chapter 5 and verse 6 and 7, 
Now we heard about some of the uh, wrong, unethical things going on among the Jewish men. And we see in verse 6 it says, Then I was angry when I heard their outcry and these words. But then notice verse 7. It says, I consulted with myself. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So I talked to myself. <laughs> well, we know he was talking to the Lord. But he consulted with himself. And then he immediately took action when he knew what to do. Now there is the life of a godly man. And if you'll also remember, I'm sorry we don't have time to show all these things. But often at the end of his prayers, he had this interesting little statement. He would always say, Now remember me. Now what do you think that means? Do you think he thinks the Lord may forget him? No. Well, now he knew he was doing a great work. It was a kingdom work. Do you think he was saying, Now remember me when it comes time for rewards? I don't, I don't think that was exactly it. But what was he saying? When he was ready to do something decisive, he would pray, and he'd say, Lord, remember me. And then he would go do it. Now, what does this mean? What he's saying is, Lord, you have told me to be diligent in my work. And so as I go forth to my work, cover my back. Help me, Lord. You know that I am imperfect and fearful. But I go forth by faith. Remember me as I go, Lord. Probably I'll make some mistakes. Remember me. Now you see, outwardly people say, Wow, Nehemiah, he's so full of authority and he knows what to do. Inwardly he was fearful, just like you and I. But he felt uh, he, he had to take these actions to rebuild the wall of the city. So he said, Lord, remember me. What a vessel, useful to the Master. Spiritually practical all the way. And, and God called him to do the great work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. That's what he called it, you know, when the enemy tried to get him to stop, he said, I can't stop. This is a great work I'm doing. So let's just look at a few things regarding our our, our brother Jer- uh, Nehemiah here as we see him doing this building work. First, his calling to the great work. Now, how does God call a man, a woman, into his great work of building the city? This is a vital question today. Especially when you look on our landscape. And one thing, what do you see? Look around, what do you see? 
Where are those men called of God? Where are those workers that are all in for the Lord? Thank God there are some. Unfortunately, most of them are getting old. Now, where are those called of God with character today? Now, indeed, we are at talking about full time workers. But not full time workers like we think. Nehemiah was not a full-time worker, but he was a full-time worker. Now what does that mean? Now he wasn't a preacher. Now you know when he came back to when he came to Jerusalem, Ezra had been there a long time. Ezra was a Levite. He knew the word of God. He could preach the word of God. But he could not rebuild the walls of the city. He didn't have those gifts. And so Ezra was there at the time of Nehemiah, but you don't hear about him. Until the city walls are built, and then Ezra preaches the word and revival breaks out in the city. But we're not talking about another Ezra, another Jeshua, the high priest. We're talking about a man who understands that whatever job he may have, his spiritual vocation is his great work. Now in our midst we have very few who even uh, think about serving the Lord full time in, in the sense of not being employed in some job. Well it's not even considered much today. It, it goes against the American dream. But actually we don't want to talk about that. And actually this calling we don't even want to refer to as necessarily a personal calling, although it is, but rather to some men who would stand up in this important time. Where are those men with practical spirituality? Where are those men when the Lord says, Who will build the walls? They say, Here am I. Send me. Well, let's look and see how Nehemiah was called, and then we'll ask the question again. How did Nehemiah, uh, how was he called to this great work? Did some preacher tell him to go? No. Did he see handwriting on the wall? Tekel, tekel, ufarsum? He says, oh, this is my call. 
Did he hear a voice? No. What was his call? It happened when his brother came back with the report from Jerusalem. Now his brother gave the report. But his brother was not called to rebuild the walls because he could report such a devastation and still live on. When we look out on the ruin and the devastation and the problem and the divisions and everything that's going on in the church today, we all talk about it and even feel some burden about it. And you would think perhaps God would call somebody to rebuild the walls who was actually living there in Jerusalem. First hand could see the poverty and the and the persecution and the ruination around him. But it's amazing how people can adapt to any kind of situation. And after a generation, this poverty and persecution and abject destruction was the new normal for the people living around Jerusalem. There were many, many others in Susa and in Persia who were captives who knew of the condition in Jerusalem. But we remember when Nehemiah heard the report, it altogether broke his heart. Now this is God's call. God broke Nehemiah's heart. It's almost as if I imagine he could envision the scene before him. As as they related how all of the wall was ruined and wrecked. In his mind eye, he saw these piles of stones dotting the perimeter of what used to be the city wall. The wooden gates all burned and just laying aside like charcoal. Piles of stones here, piles of stones there overgrown with things. Jackals running in and out among them. When he saw these things, it broke his heart. Now the reason is is because he saw God's heart for his people. Now we see things at times that break our hearts. But when you see as God sees, then you begin to pray as the people who are there in Jerusalem. You remember the prayer of our brother. He prayed as if he were one of the sinners who was there in Jerusalem and undergoing all of this terrible devastation. He identified with himself as one of the sinners among sinners who had allowed and caused this devastation to come on themselves by their unfaithfulness. 
他把他自己当成一个罪人，放在那里面，说他们好像是因为他们的罪，所以他们淋到这么糟的一个光景。He prayed over three months. 他有三个月的时间在那边祷告。And during this time of prayer, he found a prayer. 在祷告的这段时间，他就找,找到一个祷告。这个祷告是什么呢 ？God, you remember how you said if your people are unfaithful, you would scatter them. 主啊，你说你如果你的人不忠心，不不忠心的话，你你要让他们分散。But you also said if your people return to you, that you would have favor upon them. 但是你说，如果啊、uh, 他们他们愿意悔改的话，你你在他们眼前蒙恩。Oh God, would you remember this remnant in Jerusalem suffering so much? 神啊，求你纪念这些渔民，他们在耶路撒冷受受了这么多的苦。They have come back. 他们回来了。Oh, won't you bless them? 求你祝福他们。And God said yes. 神就说是的。You go back. 你回去。That was his call. 这就是他的呼召。So there's a calling of God. No handwriting on the wall. But a heart that couldn't do anything else. Of course, he had a problem. It's impossible. He was a cupbearer for the king. He don't say,、uh, "Excuse me, can I take twelve years off?" He said, "Can I take twelve years off?" But in fact, he became governor for twelve years. So he just said, "God, you have laid this on my heart." Who is worthy for this? Who pays to do this thing? But God, I'm going to speak to the king. Give me success. Now we can't go into the details. 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 Nehemiah went into his presence. 那有一天你心里就在他面前。And there was just too much sorrow in his face. 那在他面容就。His fasting and prayer was taking its toll. 那他在那边呃这个进食，他就已经。The king saw it and said, "What's going on?" 那神就看得出来，他就问他说发生什么事情呢 ？And Nehemiah said. 你心里就说。After he prayed. 在他祷告之后，他说。How can I smile when my family and the place of where my parents are buried? Lays in ruins. 我怎么样能够微笑？当我想到说是我父母亲，我们我们我的祖先所成长所住的地方是已经在一个毁灭的状况之下。Thank God. 感谢神。Artaxerxes' wife was sitting next to him. 他的王的妻子在他旁边。She went. 他就跟他说。So the king says, "What do you want?" 王就说，你要什么呢？ And he said, "I want to go back." I want to help rebuild the walls. 我想要回去重建这个城墙。And his wife went. <laughs> and so, by the time it was over, the king gave him a written permission. Gave him supplies. Gave him uh, some uh, soldiers to guide him back. And so, when he came back, he said to the people. In chapter two. He says in verse seventeen. Now here again we see a beautiful picture. He comes to Jerusalem. We just 看到美丽的一幅图画，他来到耶路撒冷。And he goes around it at nighttime. 他就在晚上在那边走。Looking at every place. 在看着所有的地方。This man does not act unless he understands what to do. 这个人不如果不明白当初所发生的事情呢，不会去行。But he has that kind of practical spirituality. 还有这个很实际的这个属灵方面。The Lord will tell him what to do. 神会告诉他所当做的事情。And so he gathers the people the next day. 所以他在次日就召聚了所有召聚了百姓。And he says to them in verse seventeen of chapter two. 第十七节就对他们说。You see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate. Its gates are burned with fire. 
Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, there's a very practical work of building the house of God to be done. But it won't happen by just some volunteers. There must be some whose hearts see the condition of the city of God with the God's point of view. I can ask the questions, but only the Lord can show our hearts. What do you see when you look out over Christian things today? Even as our brother talked this morning. Let's take that little wall just for a start. Now walls stand for a testimony of unity. It's the strength of a city. It's the identity of a city. Now if you lived in Jerusalem when it was in ruins, and people say, where did you live? If you say Jerusalem, people say, what's that? There were no walls, there was no city. You lived in a pile of rocks. No, God wants a city with walls, covering and surrounding and protecting His people. In New York City, we're just uncovered. What does it look like? A bunch of individual rock outcroppings here and there. There's nothing binding it all together. There's no covering or protection or unity. Now our brother was talking about the wider sense of all of these denominations. They're all like pillars in the city. And as a result of that, is the church strong? No, the church is in poverty. Could you just imagine? I know this is beyond our mind, but can you imagine what would happen if the church in the city were one? I tell you what, Satan would have to flee. But as it is, he can send in his jackals over the wall anytime he wants. The enemy runs in, picks off some of our teenage children, 
pulls them back into the world. There's no protection at all. But I don't want to talk about the city as a whole and to talk about all these other places. Because this is, sadly, the picture of the state of our assemblies. I don't know if you see that. What do we have? Isolated outcroppings. Independent testimonies. Thank God there's a sister over there. She's strong in the Lord. Praise God, there's a family over there where husband and wife worship together and their children are in the Lord. You see outcroppings here and outcroppings there. But it's not built together. Now we see we don't understand this. We might blame the devil. But it's actually our individualism and our independence that refuses to submit to one another and be built together. We're isolated. Far apart. We need our space. And the Lord cannot build. The testimony remains weak. When I was a brand new Christian, I was so blessed by a pastor, a Baptist pastor in New York. He was a dear man of God. And he wrote a book called Heart Cry for Revival. Now, because my father-in-law knew him, I talked to him several times. And I remember at one time I asked him, do you think revival can come to your church in the middle of Manhattan? And he was honest. He said that would be very difficult. Now, on Sunday, this church was packed with people. But he said 75% of our congregation lives out in the suburbs. I don't think we could have a revival. Everybody lives in Connecticut and New Jersey and up in upstate New York. And so it was a preaching station. Actually, they had every summer a Keswick week there of deeper teaching. But when you looked at the congregation, there was a stack over here in New Jersey and another one up here in Westchester. Well, where is the church being built up together? Now, I believe in geographical proximity. If you're going to live together, you need to live together. You need to live near one another. To me, it seems so plain. And if I weren't over there in Manhattan, going crazy with the noise over there, and if I wanted to live here in peaceful flushing, 
I would buy that house across the street. Because you want to be here with God's people. Don't you want to be? Or do you want your space? Are you afraid what would happen if you moved across the street? Now, the only person I say don't move there is if you're a doctor, because all the saints will come to see you. No, but we have an isolation. It's built into our mentality. We all keep our space. There's no real submission to one another. Oh, we come together for a little while. How well do we know each other? How well are we being built together? But isolation isn't just geographical. So Manhattan, I try to tell the saints you should move close to each other. So some of them do. But they never see each other. They have no time. They have a time separation. We have some people who can't be here because they work. There's always a situation. We're isolated by time and by space, but mostly by heart. How can the Lord ever deal with us and our isolationism and our individualism. Do you really know what it would mean to be built together? It would mean discipline. It would mean adjustment. And mostly, it would mean submission. Now who is willing to do that? Now where is the Nehemiah? Now listen. It isn't that difficult. Now there's a way of this wall being built into a unity. Now, marvelously, after Nehemiah said, Let's build, the Lord has been favorable. Then when we look in chapter 3, there's all of these names that you don't want to hear. Probably you skip over chapter 3. Maybe it's the most important chapter in the book. Because you know, everybody, whether they were great or small, who began to build has their name written right there. Look, I'll just show you a few people. Baruch in verse 20. Forever it is recorded in the book. After him, Baruch the son of Zabbai zealously repaired another section from the angle, which is awfully hard to do, to the doorway of the house of Eliashab the high priest. Now there are people here who are mentioned. There are people who just built the wall that was next to their house. Imagine right there, across from their house, there, the wall was in ruins. But they began to build that. And others started from here and started building over there. Now what else did they do? They had to repair the gates. Now the gates is a picture of authority. There's nothing more beautiful than gates on a city. It coordinates all the movement in and out of the city. 
It brings safety and protection to the city. Oh, what a wonderful thing to have gates. And so most of the testimony is this. So and so started at this gate. And he repaired it. By interpretation, a man of God took authority over his own family and brought it into godliness. Um, and then somebody else started building from their gate and started building toward that next gate where they were met halfway by those people from that gate coming up some people built just a small part of the wall some people built more than a mile of the wall now in the end we're talking about something that's more than 25 feet high and 12 feet wide 12 feet wide at least you know people could live in the wall there's room for a house in there but anyway but the point is that everybody had a heart to build they got it halfway up praise God they got it halfway up and two things happened the enemy attacked we're going to get you now and the people got discouraged but they said oh there's so much garbage whoever thought there'd be so much garbage among God's people Uh, they should eat with the Chinese downstairs so much garbage but no we're talking about the rubble of living stone you know Nehemiah understood we need to build from here to there Nehemiah said your house is right there would you build that? the practical spirituality of coordination well here we are an assembly of people now look at them now what are you concerned about your own life or do you see somebody whom we need to build a wall to you know when people first come in and visit us they don't build a wall toward us we need to connect ourselves to them now do we do we have the love and the wisdom to do that are we selfless enough to do that I want to suggest something to you regarding this calling I really think all the brothers in an assembly are called to this building work we need prayer and the eyes to see where there's need for reconciliation or forgiveness in this city now we have a very practical situation here in Flushing now we have a big Chinese stone place in a little 
English one and then a little bigger Brazil a Portuguese one. Now are we building a wall toward one another to connect one another? Or as our brother said yesterday morning, was that guy right? Said, ah, this is just a Chinese thing. I don't think it's just a Chinese thing. I don't even see Chinese anymore. I am Chinese. <laughs> but we need to build a wall toward one another. You know, I know they never get any thanks, but the Lord knows. I'm very thankful. I've been here now 10 years. For ten years I've been able to hear your prayers through brothers like Ezra and Andre and Lawrence. These little ways we can build walls to connect one another. But I don't know most of your lives. And I have a problem. Well, I'm more like an Ezra than a Nehemiah. Spiritual practicality is not my uh, strong suit. But I can see when there are people who are trying to connect the walls. And I, and I say, brothers, this, this is a great work. And when by the grace of God we see gates being uh, uh, rebuilt and hung in their place and authority back in the church. I don't mean lording it over authority. I mean coordination and submission. You know, uh, our brother Ni has, has a saying from way back, I don't know what book it's in, to be honest with you. When we come into an assembly, our first question should be, who can I submit to? Now there's somebody who has the heart of a wall builder. Now most of us come somewhere. What can I do? Or who submits to me? We're so independent. But it's so carnal. Our American independence is killing the church. People meet week after week and they're dying of loneliness. Nobody cares. I can't say that. Because I know there's some wall builders even here and in Manhattan. But I'm sure you can appreciate from chapter 3 it takes all of us building the wall together. Now what good is it if we build the wall between here, the sheep gate and the valley gate? But then this is all in ruins over here. Well, we have no protection. It needs to all be built together. Oh, just like Nehemiah, we have to pray, Lord, remember me. I, I just I want to do my best, practically speaking. 
so we reach out to one another. Allow our lives to be built together one to another. We open our houses up to hospitality together. Listen, if you have a house that's so nice you never want anybody over, then sell the place and buy a crummy one where you can have people over. The whole mentality goes back to England. Where a family believed their house was their castle. The man came home from work, he went inside. This is my castle. He sits back, watches television. Hey, bring me some meal. And hey, kids, get out of here. No, you know what? Our houses should be a connecting point on the wall. But we need to be willing to coordinate with each other. And submit to one another. And these things seem so difficult. Well, uh, I, I'm running out of time here, but uh, let me just say a couple of things. It may surprise us to know how quickly a wall of testimony can be built if we're given to that work. The Lord, the Lord can revive walls of unity. Now how long do you think it took them to build the wall? 52 days. That's less than two months. Because what happened? Well, the, the high priest began to build his little section. Eliashab, he's the priest. Anyway, he's hopeless. He built like this much. <laughs> but he consecrated it to God. He laid his hands on it to God. Preserved his wall. <laughs> then others began to build. And then people started coming from out of hiding. Now where were they hiding? Out in the suburbs. Yeah, it says that a, a, a city of people from Tekoa came and started building on the wall over there. And a work crew came up from Jericho and they started building that wall. And you see, God even brought the saints who were hiding out in the outskirts into the city and they began to live in the city again. Now what happened when the city wall got built? Well, I just mentioned a few things. Well, look in verse uh, chapter 7. And uh, verse 5. And it says, Nehemiah, this is typical of his practical spirituality. Nehemiah 7, 5. Then, then my God put it into my heart. That's it. Then my God put it into my heart. And what did he do? He said, pull out the census. Now let's see who lives here. And suddenly, these people who came back as a remnant became an identity. This one, that one was born in Zion. 
Now they knew who they were. I live in Jerusalem. When those walls were built, there was identity among God's people. Now they knew who they were. And look at chapter 7. It's a complete list of everybody who came back to do the work. And now they're citizens. Then in chapter 8, what happens? The people, they go to Ezra. Now Ezra is studying his books outside the temple. And they said, Will you come and speak the word of God to us? And all of the people on the first day of the seventh month met outside the water gate. The first day of the week, the seventh month, is the day of the blowing of the trumpets. Which day? First day of the seventh month. And they all gathered there. And Ezra opened up the book. And all the people stood up. And now let me say something. Ezra began to read the word and explain it. And the people began to weep. Now why? You know, we can't even understand the truth of body life until we're submitted in body life. I mean, these, these Jews had heard about the feasts, but now they were in the city where the feast was. And what happened is they started to read and they came to the place where it says on the tenth day you need to have the feast of tabernacles they said the feast of what? and they told them what happens and how they need to build booths in Jerusalem and up in the temple and they had the greatest feast of tabernacles they ever had because they were all one together. Now they could understand the deeper truth of the word. When we are built together, the word of God has greater impact upon us. How important it is to hear the word of God assembled and united together. Well, and then in chapter 9, the whole assembly, as it were, had a prayer of confession and of rededication before the Lord. And in chapter 10, they began to, this work of sanctification and separation within the city of God. Well, there's really more to go into there. We have time. But I want to just pause here finally. And wonder if the Lord wouldn't give us some prayer along this matter. It's wonderful. Probably almost everybody here openly confesses they have a heart for the Lord and for Him only. But we know that that's only half of it. Do we have a heart 
for the Lord's people and to be in unity together. This is what it means to be all in. And I didn't even mention about Nehemiah himself. He was one of the hardest workers on the wall. And not only that, but as governor for 12 years, he had the right to demand the uh, taxes from all of the people. And he not only never got a penny from the people, but he opened his home and he fed 150 people every day from his own wealth. This is a godly man. This is a man who is senses the great work of that city of God. He had no idea the greater mystery behind what he was doing. Because there were already prophecies of the city of Jerusalem that the Messiah would come to. Without that city, Jesus could never have come. He was faithful. Practically spiritual. Man of prayer. And he had overridden his own sense of unworthiness by responding to the call of God. I think for many Christians this is the last vestige of religious flesh that keeps us from obeying God. Many, many Christians hear in their heart, in their broken heart, a call coming from God. And like all the servants of God in the Bible, they all say, Oh, no, no, not me. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Have you noticed in the Bible how everybody pretty much says that? And have you noticed how God just ignores that? He says, have I not called you? Then go in this strength that I have called you and forget about yourself. Our last vestige of religious flesh is we're always saying, Oh, I can't, I'm unworthy. No, I can't, I'm unworthy. And it's a fleshly excuse for not obeying the call of God. But may God's heart overrule our flesh. And we say, Where else can I go? By the grace of God, I will do this great work. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing more beautiful on the face of this earth than the church in unity. It's more important than anything, any job, any vocation, any goal that we may individually have. There's a great work that remains mostly unfinished today. For want of men who'll stand up and say, Yes, Lord, I see your heart.
Now may the Lord help us. He's taken us by His sovereign grace part way. That oh, He wants to build the city of the living God. It takes humility, faith, prayer, godliness, practical spirituality, to know how to join the parts of the wall that are separated now. May the Lord give us all such a love for God's purpose and end that we're willing to submit to one another. This is the issue in this part of the work. God sovereignly worked in building the house of God. But then when it came to building the walls of the city, he waited for a man whose heart was all for him. May the Lord have mercy. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. All hearts are before you. There are no no secrets hidden. Oh, we have our excuses. Our reasons for separation. But Lord, we surrender them at your feet. Lord, you told us that you desire the church to be built up. For each member to give the joint of supply in building this wall together. Oh Lord, raise up your body in practical spirituality that we may find you in one another and see the testimony of the church strength. Oh, may it be in these last days you could find the people who have first love for you and one another. This is a great work. It's marvelous that you can do it. Lord, have your way. Maybe let's just have a few more prayers before we end. 希望我们还有几位的弟兄在我们有这个祷告。